Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville. Local Pride, Global Technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with co-host Stan Jastrzewski, who's the news director of WFIU. And today we're going to talk about public education. Joining us in the studio are two area superintendents, uh, Monroe County Community School Corporation Superintendent J.T. Koopman and also Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation Superintendent Steve Kane. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join the discussion on our, by going to our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, or even follow the show on Twitter at Noon Edition. JT, welcome to the program. Thank nice you. Nice to have you. Steve, welcome back. Thank you. It's ha- good to be on again today. Ha- hasn't been that long since you were on. We it's talked about some issues. <laughs> been wow. a year, I guess. It's hard yeah. to believe. Hard Start of school. <laughs> right. Well, uh, JT Koopman just began his uh, his career in Bloomington. He's uh, been a superintendent for many years and been an educator for many years. But if you would uh, please talk to us a little bit about uh, some of your uh, overriding philosophies about education, some of your goals for the MCCSC. Well, first of all, I want to thank the uh, Board of School Trustees in this community for allowing me to serve in this capacity. It certainly is an honor for me to be the superintendent uh, in Monroe County Community Schools and serving the students in Monroe County. Um, my observations and uh, the things that I was able to glean as I studied the job uh, certainly have been even better than I had envisioned in relationship to the staff, uh, the support that we have, the community, uh, the the city, the county, all the resources that we have available to us, including the University of uh, Indiana University as well as Ivy Tech, has just been tremendous. And uh, I can't think of a better opportunity for uh, a professional in education to have all those resources available uh, for our students and staff to take advantage of. So uh, with that being said, um, as many of the community members know, uh, the, um, there hasn't been a, a stable leadership uh, in, in the superintendency for quite some time. And certainly it is my mission and goal to establish stability of leadership first and foremost. I plan on being here uh, with the uh, board and community support for quite some time and establish the program so that we want to go to uh, really help uh, MCCSC become a world-class school district. And so first and foremost, that would be one of my goals. And uh, there's been a lot of work as I've been able to uh, glean from the past in relationship to uh, graduation workforce study and some other things with community support. And uh, I think the opportunity exists for to, to have those uh, programs resurrected and studied again. Uh, I have talked briefly with our two high school uh, principals about that program, and some of those things uh, that came out of that program are now being implemented, which I'm glad to see. Um, <clears throat> as a result of, of talking about high schools, um, I think that our graduation rate is uh, – really uh, not where we want it to be, and that will certainly be a goal of mine to increase uh, our graduation rate percentages. And uh, with that being said, uh, timeline and benchmarking, uh, I'd like to have that go from 76 percent to 86 percent in the next three to five years, and then in the next 10 years increase that to 96 percent. And I believe that we have the resources and the commitment to do that. Um, it, it's difficult. It's a difficult task uh, to keep all of the students engaged and in school, as well as the way the graduation rate is computed. It makes it difficult to uh, attain an extremely high level of, of graduation rate. 
literacy skill development, I think, is, the, is really going to be the cornerstone for what we try to do with helping kids be successful in school. So we'll be working on some of those things as well. And granted, uh, in any new position, it's going to give me an opportunity to uh, listen, 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 observe, 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 and make determinations really about the, the direction for the school district. And I think, again, given the lack of, of uh, recent leadership in, in so many areas, uh, that we're going to try to establish uh, central points of focus and then concentrate on a few things and do those few things extremely well. Now, that, that's a topic you've talked about since you were interviewing for this job was you wanted to provide stability and to provide a, a steady hand uh, over a long period of time. What are the challenges inherent in in trying to do that, to try to uh, establish yourself as someone that people can trust and someone that people know and someone whose voice people will listen to just because you you have the experience and you've been there uh, long enough to establish yourself? You know, longevity doesn't mean trust. And so uh, it's going to be up to, to me to establish trust and credibility through how I go about things and the communication links that I, that I make. And I think it's, it behooves me to make sure that I clearly communicate a vision and uh, have a lot of people on board with that vision. And so that just comes with listening and communicating and establishing trust and credibility in not moving forward or in a direction that the community or the staff or the school board doesn't wish to go. So we will try to foster those links and lines of communication and make sure that we're doing what the community wants because I certainly believe that the schools belong to the community and we want to do what the community wants for their children in their schools. I think in the uh, area of trust, we have to look to to your left, my right, Steve Kane. Uh, clearly, your school corporation trusts you. Uh, they keep bringing you back. But, but I want to ask you because I've never done. I've never asked you this question before. Um, Dr. Koopman mentioned the central points of focus. What would you say are the central points of focus that you have for your school corporation at Richland B. Blossom? Our primary focus uh, this year is going to be uh, district accreditation. Uh, our schools have all been accredited by the North Central. Association of Schools and Colleges for over 20 years, but we've been operating as separate buildings. And the accreditation process that we're entering into now is for district-wide because an individual school can be an excellent school, but if the focus is not system-wide, you're you're having islands of excellence, we call it, Uh, but we don't have a combined focus, and that's what we're working on this year. Mm-hmm. Okay. How, do you, how do you go about getting that philosophy to be uh, excellence across all of the different schools? Are there people you're going to to say, hey, your programs are working and you're really seeing success. Would you teach other people or is there an overarching philosophy that comes down from your office or from best practices you find elsewhere? We uh, try to follow best practices. Uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, education giants uh, locally was uh, Dean Berkeley, and he often spoke of Sunday farming, that is, uh, traveling the countryside on Sunday to see what the successful farmers are, were doing. And that was, for him, Sunday farming, but we translated it into education people looking at other uh, education facilities or districts that see what they were doing and being so successful at. For example, uh, we found that the Martinsville math scores were very good. And so we investigated what they were doing and we found that one of the differences uh, was a textbook selection and the other was uh, a program called Acuity. So we look at those kinds of things to uh, look for solid examples of people who have been successful. Mm-hmm. Does it matter the, the kinds of districts that you look to? I mean, you are obviously a uh, in close proximity to the MCCSC, but a very different district in terms of the sort of rural, more rural makeup of it than, than the more urban makeup of MCCSC. Does that factor into the decisions in terms of curriculum and in terms of trying to make these programs better and, and get the, the points home to the people whom you serve? 
We try to uh, look at districts that are similar, but uh, basically we're looking for programs that have been successful and see why they are successful. Uh, our students uh, are very diverse uh, in terms of background, uh, but not as diverse as MCCSC is. And so we have a little different clientele to work with. Uh, but uh, all of our people are focused on getting the most out of students that they can. Our phone numbers are 855 if you're outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can join us by going to our website, wfiu.org slash Noon Edition. And we're also on Twitter. Follow us at Noon Edition. Uh, there are a lot of things we could talk about locally, but I want to jump into some state issues because I think that things are – uh, I, I would assume that being a superintendent in 2009 is different from what it was in 1999, 1989, whenever. Uh, just in the last week, um, some information came out of uh, superintendent of school, state superintendent Tony Bennett's plan to revamp the teachers' licensing rules in the state, which would, uh, in a lot of ways, um, certainly affect schools of education. You would, you would, there would, he would be looking more at uh, competency in in a certain area of teaching as opposed to teaching methods. I guess I want to get your feedback, both of you, about whether this is the right direction the state should be going or the wrong direction. JT? Well, <clears throat> no, I don't think it's the right direction for us to go, you know, at a, particularly at a time when, when in the profession of education that we are trying to improve standards of instruction and if we're saying that instructional methodology is not important, I think we're headed in the wrong direction because it's extremely important. And uh, I think probably all of us in this room and, and maybe many of our listeners have seen people that had a great grasp of content area, but they weren't necessarily good teachers. And so I think teaching methodologies uh, – uh, classroom management skills, uh, understanding how to use data to drive instruction. There are many factors, uh, understanding special education, legal issues in uh, public uh, schools. Uh, it, it's multifaceted. It's just not knowing content area that makes a teacher a good teacher. And Steve uh, mentioned best practices. All of us are looking toward best practices to improve quality of instruction and it goes beyond uh, taking a workshop in relationship to knowing about those things and then implementing them in a classroom. And uh, our best research oftentimes comes from the university level and what our teachers are able to glean from taking university level classes because that's where the research is done and that's where it's developed and that's where it's shared with the, the professionals. So I don't necessarily agree with the directions that things are going and uh, I don't think taking a proficiency exam necessarily will allow you to lead a school or lead a school district without understanding what teachers do, without understanding uh, child psychology and many other facets in relationship to quality educational standards. There were two things that bothered most of us uh, this week. First of all, the proposal uh, presented to the State Board of Education blindsided most everyone in the education community. Dr. Bennett has demonstrated that he is not communicating with the education community over things such as uh, professional development days, the school calendar, uh, snow days. Uh, he tends to shoot from the hip and uh, makes con conclusions that are not based on data. Uh, one of the things that we've tried to do in the last few years is make sure that our decisions are based on the results of that we see from uh, different data that we gather. And that's one of the reasons we have I-STEP testing. We gather data to see what kinds of areas we're deficient in and what areas we're doing very well. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, I think Dr. Bennett needs to uh, communicate more with the uh, education community and not just the politicians. So where does that leave you when your ideas of best practices are not the same as the state school superintendent's ideas of best practices? 
Well, as, as Steve mentioned, uh, he, uh, it, it would appear that, that Dr. Bennett has not sought our opinions or those of other professionals in education. So it's difficult for us to establish lines of communication when our opinions uh, are not sought out before things are implemented. And, um, you know, there was a call-in uh, opportunity on Monday with state superintendents, but nobody knew the basis of why we were having uh, the call-in until really essentially that morning. And apparently the same thing happened with those folks that are on the uh, – uh, the state education board, they didn't have that information until right before they arrived at the meeting and then they received another set of information later in that day that they hadn't had not an opportunity to review. I want to kind of follow up on, on uh, some of the things that, that Steve said in relationship to uh, Dr. Bennett has taken away our ability to conduct professional development um, in, 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 fairly, in a fairly arbitrary manner by not allowing us to have half days of, of school count toward the 180 days. And as most of our listening audience knows, we took those half days and we worked with teachers on our school improvement plans and on other professional development opportunities. Now that we don't have those, it's going to be difficult for us to provide professional development to staff. Now, interestingly enough, that's one of the avenues that Dr. Bennett is proposing for teacher certification and license renewal is through district professional development. But yet that avenue has been taken away from us, so when are we supposed to do it? Uh, the other part of that is uh, what is effective professional development in, in uh, RBB and what is professional development in MCCSC and should they be the same or should they not be the same? I would contend they should not be the same because our um, focus may be different and our needs must be different in relationship to the kids that we serve. So is that uh, productive to have that type of a model in place? I want to follow up on this, but I, we do have a phone call. So let's go, okay. to, let's go to the phones first. Um, and uh, we have a call from Karen. Karen, go ahead. Yes. Um, I'd, I wanted to ask a question. Um, the man that just spoke talked about he didn't think – proficiency exams were maybe applicable to, uh, let's say, administrators and principals. I'm not sure I heard it right, but I'm, uh, he may be right, but yet we give students uh, or we insist on students having the I-step. So I wondered why, that's my first question, why would there be a double standard between proficiency for teachers and administrators and uh, uh, proficiency for students? The other thing is uh, I wanted to ask... Um, is, isn't there, doesn't the, the man speaking to see some um, benefit to Dr. Um, Bennett's idea that we need to rethink the schools and education? Um, it's very hard, I know, in positions where you're administrator to give up that turf, but I do think uh, kids are not getting the full schooling because teachers take time off to, time during the school week to go to uh, professional development, etc., and a lot of professionals do that on their own time. And I think maybe that needs to be rethought. Uh, certainly, the teachers have the summers off most of them. So, um, I, I guess those are sort of my comments and questions. And thank you very much. This is an important issue to all of us, I'm sure. Actually, um, you find that most teachers during the summertime are doing things in professional development on their own. They uh, uh, many of the teachers are going to classes in, uh, and they're paying for those on their own and they're also doing things uh, uh, within the buildings, uh, working on curriculum uh, on, on their own time. So uh, I think it would be incorrect to say that they aren't doing some things on their own time. And then as far as the testing, uh, uh, it, it's one thing to test the student to see how he's doing in math, but to test an individual who maybe was a banker or um, a contractor on the proficiencies to lead a um, 500 uh, group or uh, employee group, or uh, in the case of MCCSE, it's probably closer to 
2000, that uh, those kind of skills cannot necessarily be tested. They have to be acquired through experience and an understanding of the organizations that you're working with. And frankly, uh, schools are not the same as a business. Uh, if we chose to run uh, schools as a business, uh, we might be cooking the books like the, sometimes they do in business. But uh, um, I am concerned that our state superintendent is not demonstrating leadership by working with the education community. I, a couple things to, to clarify. I think we had talked earlier about uh, proficiency for for people who are going to come into the classroom and teach on maybe on methods or whatever. And then this also uh, gets to, I think, Steve's point is that Bennett wants to allow anybody with a master's degree to become a district superintendent if they can pass a school leader's license test. So there would be that proficiency test to become a superintendent of school. Mm, so so if, if that comes to pass, what would that do, do you think, to – the the idea of a school superintendent would that do you think dilute the 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 hierarchy in, in some way would that force a change on education and do you think that superintendents like yourselves are going to allow such a thing to happen without fighting back if you will against superintendent bennett first of all let me kind of address the the question in relationship to testing student proficiency um, I absolutely believe that we need to have benchmarks uh, to determine whether or not our instruction is effective. And so one of those ways that we can establish benchmarks for effective instruction is to administer some type of an assessment. Now, uh, in the state of Indiana, that state assessment that measures schools is a school-wide assessment at various grade levels in various content areas but it measures groups of students uh, against other groups of students. I would contend that I would much rather have an assessment in place that measures the student against himself as he progresses uh, either throughout the year or from grade level to grade level in certain content areas. And I think we would establish uh, better uh, data um, alignment in relationship to better understanding that student. And in many cases, school districts do that in addition to I-STEP. Taking that to the next logical step, if the data tells us one thing about our instructional practices and we don't have opportunities for professional development in identifying different instructional strategies to teach those kids in different ways, we're at a distinct disadvantage. It would be much like a, a dentist uh, who doesn't keep up with dental practices and, con and continues to do the same things that he did in 1965 in 2009. Uh, I would contend that there are probably better dental practices out there today than there were in 1965, and most people would rather go to the up-to-date uh, practitioner of, of 2009 than going back to the dentist from 2000, or in 1965. So I don't know if that's a, a fair analogy or not, but it's it's I think uh, it points out the need for us to keep up to date in what's happening in the profession. Going back to your question in relationship to uh, superintendents, I've I've been in education for 35 years now. I've been a superintendent for 20 years, and I learned something new every day and I would like to think that my practice as a superintendent has improved as a result of keeping up with continued studies in relationship to whether it be at the university level or through our professional organizations and it, uh, it doesn't happen easily and it does happen um, in relationship to us practicing our craft and understanding our craft better and it changes I would say annually in relationship to the things that we face with teachers and uh, our students. So we have to understand, I believe, we have to understand education um, before we can lead it. And so without those types of – without that background, I don't think I would be um, as, as good of a practitioner as I am today and I certainly – can look back into my first superintendency and say, oh my gosh, how much have, have I grown? I, I certainly was uh, green and wet behind the ears uh, the first year that I was a superintendent. 
So through my experiences in, in education, I think that I have grown professionally to, uh, to a great extent. All right. We're going to have to take a break now. You're listening to Noon Edition and our discussion with uh, Superintendent J.T. Koopman and Superintendent Steve Kane. Uh, we'll be right back after a short break. Listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone Information at smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with Stan Jastrzewski from WFIU. And our guests today are Superintendent J.T. Koopman from the Monroe County Community School Corporation and Superintendent Steve Kane from the Richland Bean Blossom School Corporation. If you have questions or comments, phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join the discussion at our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition or follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Um, before we get away from uh, Karen's phone call, she did have a second part about uh, Tony Bennett. It sounded like she was maybe a little more supportive of his ideas uh, than you guys have been at least in the first half of the program. Um, she was talking about how he wants to rethink education and rethink the schools. And I guess I would get ask both of you to comment on on you know his some of his ideas about rethinking education and rethinking the schools. Is that something that uh, you would? It's something we do every year, and if not daily, uh, monthly, uh, as we look at what we're doing in the schools and what we can do to improve things. And uh, I, I know he has good intentions, but sometimes uh, you uh, need to uh, take a little sugar to make the medicine go down. And uh, uh, the inclination that we're seeing at the state politically is that we aren't doing anything at the schools to try to improve, and we do it constantly. All right. JT? Well, I, I agree with Steve. I think we're always looking at our practice. And if I, if I look at the practice of education today versus the way it was even 15 years ago, I think we're much better practitioners mm-hmm. today. Um, Fifteen years ago, I think we made certain assumptions in relationship to, well, I think I'm doing a good job. I think my kids are learning. Today, we have data that either supports that or doesn't support that. And if it doesn't support it, then I change. I think that our teachers and administrators lead uh, to change practice in relationship to how we're providing instruction. And obviously, we now have uh, state standards. And so we pay attention to the state standards. Obviously, we're tested on those standards. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes I don't believe that, that, that it's necessarily a fair test when there's only two questions that, uh, on a test that, that determine our effectiveness of teaching a standard. But nonetheless, it is what it is. Um, I, I really see a, a direction nationally where we will have national standards and we will have a national curriculum uh, that will drive all of the uh, education in all of the states. But that's going to take a while for that to happen. Um, but I, I think we do a much better job today of using data to guide our instruction than we've ever done before. And so therefore, I think the practice of education is much better than it has. The other factor that I think that schools are paying attention to is the use of technology in the classroom. And we know that our students are, many of them, are digital natives. And so 
as a result of them using technology in their homes and, and how they learn is something that we're adapting in the classrooms and with our students. So like Steve said, we, we're continually uh, paying attention to what the data is telling us and then adjusting in, in relationship to providing quality instruction. I want to get back to the the national instruction in just a minute, but just to, to hopefully put a cap on the discussion about uh, Superintendent Bennett, what um, will you two do to make your voices heard and make it clear at the state level that superintendents on a local level are not at all in step with what the state education head wants to do? I mean, wh- what is your next step? How do you communicate to him, hey, we don't believe what you believe. Well, I think that uh, I want to give a lot of credit to uh, Dr. John Ellis, who's the executive director of the Indiana Association of Public School Superintendents. He listens to uh, his superintendent, his superintendent constituency, and then I think he becomes our voice uh, at the legislature. He becomes our voice uh, with Dr. Bennett. Um, <clears throat> the legislators, um, I think. Uh, tend to pay attention to what Dr. Ellis has to say. Then we have Denny, Denny Kasterison with the uh, Association of School Business Officials and Frank Bush with the uh, School Boards Association. All three of those individuals along with the ISTA and uh, other uh, education groups are spokespeople for public education. And uh, I certainly uh, feel like that we need to stand up for public education. I think public education is the fabric upon which this country was woven. And I will uh, do my best to always support public education. And I think that there probably is is a direction to um, not necessarily support public education and take it in another direction. And so we will we will be at odds over that for quite some time. Okay, we've got a phone call, so let's go. Uh, let's go next to uh, Joe, who's on the phone. Joe. Yeah, hi. Uh, this is for both gentlemen. Um, specifically, do you see uh, the objective of increasing graduation rates uh, that you're both committed to um, being adversely influenced by the uh, policies that are attempted to be put forth at the state level by the state superintendent? I don't see that they are in conflict. I think our goal is to uh, turn out the best graduates we can and as many as we can. And I don't see the things that he's doing right now that would impact uh, negatively. Uh, over the long term, do you still would you still feel that way? In other words, if at the local level you have state sup- uh, you have uh, superintendents trying to increase graduation rates. And uh, at the state level, uh, they're trying to reduce the standards for uh, teachers. Um, is there some way that um, you folks could get together on this, or do you feel that looking down the road, this might be um, a problem in terms of uh, uh, the, the health of the entire system? Okay, well, the, I, I think, first of all, I think that the state school superintendent would probably say he's not trying to reduce the. Uh, no. Uh, the standards for teachers. He he would no. probably argue with no, that. No, I, I don't think he is. I think he's interested in having content professionals in the classroom, but there are other aspects of teaching that need to be addressed that we've been trying to address through the teacher intern mentor program for the beginning teachers. Uh, we've spent a lot of time and effort uh, to improve the quality of the beginning teachers and mentoring them. Uh, they come out of the university uh, with uh, a practicum, um, and th- there's always something new that they can learn. And it's very beneficial to do these things because you're looking at yourself inwardly and in, in what you are doing. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot for the call. 855 811 slash Noon Edition is our website, and you can follow us at Noon Edition on Twitter. Let's talk a, a little more broadly. Let's talk nationally for a second. Uh, there have been a lot of discussions since the Obama administration began about the future of things like No Child Left Behind, whether it's going to be abolished, whether it's going to be transformed into something new. 
are there changes to that or to the testing structures and things like that that are mandated under NCLB that you two would like to see um, morphed in some way? The biggest concern I have about No Child Left Behind is a lot of these goals that they have said are not realistic. To say that uh, by 2014, 100% of the students will achieve mastery in math and Be reading at grade art, level. At reading at grade level. Uh, all these things are admirable to seek, but it's not practical. It's almost as if you're saying to be a superintendent, you have to be able to high jump six feet. Well, I would have never become a superintendent because I can't high <laughs> jump six foot. So uh, the the whole concept is good because it does create accountability. We do measure where we are with the students. But some of the benchmarks that they have established uh, are not realistic. Do I hear you saying you're okay with the program as long as you scale back these benchmarks to what you think people can reach? Well, I think you have to be realistic that uh, not every child can graduate from high school. Uh, some some uh, children just cannot achieve that level. And uh, just as – Bob and I can't run as fast as uh, someone else might, uh, but we can achieve. I've seen Bob run. He's pretty swift. I'm not as fast as Stan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I want to kind of follow up on that is, is um, I, I think all of us reach levels or plateaus of performance. And um, we can practice as much as we possibly can as often as we can, but we're still going to have generally a plateau of performance. And to expect standards or levels of performance to increase every year is really not a, a, a realistic expectation. And we also have uh, standards by which our students and schools are measured with non-English speaking students taking the same test uh, but in English, not in their native language and expecting the same results, that doesn't make any sense to me. Or taking a student that has um, special needs and not taking those needs into account and expecting them to perform at the same level as other students. And then there are other types of things that uh, we, ha we don't have control over in relationship to uh, social economic standards and we're expecting those kids to perform at a level uh, of, of other kids that have uh, other opportunities uh, due to their socioeconomic status. So there's a lot of factors that I think come into play but if there is any indicator that's outside of those five boxes then all of a sudden we're labeled as a failing school. And I don't agree with that. One last question before we get to another phone call and that is about testing. I know that even since I was in school and growing up, there have been and it seems like an increasing number of tests because as you both pointed out earlier, it's good to have definitive concrete data upon which you can build a curriculum. Do you think there comes a point where especially with something like No Child Left Behind, you become too reliant on what your test scores are to determine whether you're succeeding or failing, to determine whether a child uh, you know, is meeting his or her potential. Is there another way to judge this or, or should we be happy that there are all of these tests that can give us these, these numbers and these outcomes? I think one of the biggest drawbacks to No Child Left Behind is that we have – uh, started comparing schools to to each other as opposed to comparing this individual student with their capability. That's why we test the student. We want to find out how you are doing as an individual. Um, if if you have a school corporation, and I know one of the uh, highest scoring school corporations in the state of Indiana has an average IQ of 120. Well, the average IQ uh, in other districts may be a 100 and uh, you can uh, bet your bottom dollar that those with 120 IQ average are going to score higher. Isn't that one of the problems with, uh, with uh, Fairview is that uh, it, Fairview continues to raise its performance against itself mm -hmm. but it's not meeting the standards that the state has set up. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and our – 
<clears throat> our teachers at Fairview and uh, our principal at Fairview, they're, they're doing an outstanding job of trying to help those kids be proficient learners. And they are improving, but they're not improving at the level that they need or that the No Child Left Behind says that they should be yeah. doing. And so if, if we take a look at the incremental improvements that they've made, they've done a great job. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we, our primary goal should be continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. All right. I think Stan and I are going to have to turn this over to our listeners because we have several emails and two phone calls. So we'll go to the phones first and uh, Linda's first. Linda? For Dr. Koopman, I'm wondering uh, how you feel about the way MCCSE has handled the transition from half-day to full-day kindergarten and if you plan on changing or clarifying anything during your time here. Thank you for that question. I, um, <clears throat> I'm just now getting a little bit of a, of a feeling for how we deal with, with kindergarten. In, in a perfect world, we would try to provide quality instruction actually pre-K if we were able to do so because I think that's, uh, that would give us great benefit and opportunity if we could provide quality instruction even before kids get into kindergarten. Now, I think most of us know that, that kindergarten is not uh, a mandated program and uh, one of the <coughs> governor's platforms was trying to fund full-day kindergarten, and that hasn't uh, happened yet. So the funding mechanism is not in place to support full-day kindergarten. Philosophically, I would love to see kids in school full-time as kindergarten students, and I think that we could certainly make great inroads in relationship to preparing kids to be successful in school with full-day kindergarten. The other problem is that I that I'm gleaning in relationship to our kindergarten program is uh, how we're, we're uh, moving kids around in relationship to half-day programs versus full-day programs and maybe even out of their home school district. And that's something that I am taking a look at. All right. Thanks a lot, Linda. Uh, let's go back to the phones. And the next caller is Dina. Hi. Um, this is for Mr. Koopman. Um, my children are students at Templeton School in Bloomington. In the spring, you appointed a new principal for the school, and that bypassed a process that was to include parents and teachers in an already formed committee. Um, you mentioned listening, trust, and communication, which I, I love those words, but I'm curious as to how you arrived at your decision and how you plan to reach out to the Templeton community at this moment. I appreciate that question, and I uh, certainly uh, understand the nature of the question. And I think that Mike Shipman is going to do a great job as principal at Templeton. Templeton uh, had some unique challenges, and Mr. Shipman's skill sets um, are going to best meet uh, the nature of what's happening at Templeton and the past at Templeton. And I think the Templeton community and staff is going to find Mr. Shipman to be uh, a great principal and a great school leader. And so um, given the nature of what Templeton uh, was facing and having somebody like Mike Shipman available, I think is going to be of great benefit to uh, the Templeton community. All right, Dean, thanks a lot for the call. Um, we have some emails. So let's go first. I'll, I'll go to this first one about uh, it's a health issue. If a flu pandemic were to force MCCSC schools to close, what planning has MCCSC done about alternative methods of delivering educational services to students? Well, with, with school closings, um, obviously we would have to deal with the school closing and then reschedule uh, makeup days much like we do with a snow day. And I can't uh, see that closing because of a, uh, an epidemic issue would be any differently. We would prepare the schools for the students to return to as uh, sanitized uh, facilities and make sure that it's safe for them to return and not uh, recontaminate themselves or others in relationship to the environment. And then we would make up that instructional day much like we do with a snow day. Okay. Steve, any? Well, I, I would have to uh, concur with that concept, but if the uh, uh, schools have to be closed because of a pandemic, the idea is to keep people separated, 
not to bring them together. So to talk about delivering instructional services during that time would seem to counteract what the closing of a school was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then there's a, a, a follow-up. It's actually from a, dif- a different uh, listener, but I think they might be at the same place. Uh, it says that this uh, the previous question prompts her to pose another question. The CDC advocates frequent hand washing as the most important preventive measure against the flu. However, we parents know that the schools, especially in the middle school and high school, do not allow enough time for students to wash their hands before eating, nor are there hand sanitizing stations in the cafeterias. Are the school systems planning to take any new actions to step up preventive measures against the outbreak of the flu? Well, we actually already have uh, uh, the uh, sanitizing solutions are available uh, throughout the building and students are uh, encouraged uh, to wash their hands carefully and the elementary teachers especially do a great job of that. You know, you're supposed to sing happy birthday twice while you're washing your hands and uh, those kind of things have been going on for several months and actually years. Uh, the teachers worked on that and we we have uh, provided uh, uh, hand sanitizers in, in the cafeterias uh, and throughout the building. Mm-hmm. We have a broader question here from another emailer who asks, why is there not a wider range of teaching styles and techniques within a given school? I wonder, I think he's getting at there's a curriculum and you're, you're, you're taught to uh, you know, sort of have a, a bedside manner for lack of a better thing as a teacher that's in your education. Why not? Uh, is, is, there, is there a range for creativity? Do you allow – I mean I've heard places like Templeton have had innovative programs in the past. Uh, is there an opportunity for teachers to say, hey, I'd like to try something that maybe has never been tried before? Yes. Uh, the schools currently are operating under the standards. We have to teach the standards. But as the, the technique used, uh, two third grade teachers uh, could approach the students that they have quite differently uh, with keeping in mind that they're trying to teach those standards. And uh, I think there's a lot of creativity. We have uh, a lot of different personalities and uh, capabilities within each grade level. And uh, <clears throat> I think there are some things that we have to have uh, somewhat standardized and uh, I'll use the example of the writing process. I think that we, we have to have our kids understanding a writing process and having our teachers teaching that writing process to all the kids. Now, how they teach it doesn't necessarily have to be in the same manner, but the process that we prescribe, I think, has to be followed. Uh, we have a lot of creative teachers uh, across the state and across the nation in relationship to how they teach kids and the methodologies that they use. And uh, if if the key is assessing what we're taught by what students learn, then the methods that we use are are going to be varied. And uh, there are going to be some kids that love certain learning styles and the way some teachers teach and how they teach them. And in the same classroom, we're going to have other kids that are taught the same way that uh, they're not being reached by that teacher. So uh, I think a good teacher will try to assess the needs of all the students in their class and then use a variety of methodologies to teach those students. Okay. Uh, We have another email here. It says, when will all Bloomington high schools, I would say, when will all Monroe County high schools offer an international baccalaureate degree? It's a high school diploma that's transferable internationally, allowing graduates to apply for colleges in Europe and Asia. You know, I think that's, you know, certainly from my perspective, um, something that uh, I would like to consider. It's a very expensive program. Uh, in how you teach your staff. And uh, so we would have to look into many options in relationship to having an IB program put in place. And uh, would it necessarily have to be just at the high school level? Could we do an IB program at the elementary, middle school leading up to high school? So um, there aren't many IB programs in the state, uh, but it's an option for us to consider. Mm And we have a wealth of opportunities within this community. That's one of the great things about Monroe County that 
with we have students each year that complete credits at Ivy Tech and at Indiana University. So they're they're getting a, a good head start and uh, introduction to uh, higher learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Kuhlman, I, I feel kind of obligated to go back to Dina's question about Templeton just because I, I'm not sure that you answered the kind of second part of her question. We mm-hmm. answered the first part. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you talked about Mike Shipman and Mike Shipman is a really good educator and I think uh, – you talked about how happy they're going to be with them. But I think that there were a lot of people who were distressed by the process, felt like the committee was set up and then the decision was made and the committee was sort of uh, left out of it. And I think she asked you know, if you were going to reach out to that community. Oh, absolutely. I think that over the course of time, um, I have to earn not only our staff's trust, but I have to earn the community's trust. And obviously, I wasn't uh, on on board full time at that particular point in time. So, uh, in retrospect, could some things have been handled differently? Um, more than likely, I would have to answer that yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, communication is the key with all of those kinds of decisions. And I think that uh, again, if I had been on board full time at that particular situ- in that particular situation, uh, I would have met with the committee and talked with them about why we were doing what we were doing. Okay. I think uh, the community can be very pleased with their new superintendent. I've known JT for 25 years or so, and I think they'll find him very approachable, and very interested in what they have to say, and he, I think he goes back to the mold of Harmon Baldwin. I think the community will find JT more like Harmon Baldwin than some of his predecessors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I know Dr. Baldwin, and that is high praise, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe he's listening to the show today. We can only hope. <laughs> All right. I think we are out of time. Stan, I'm, I think you were ready to ask another question, but we're, we've run out of time. So I want to thank uh, Stan, of course, for being here with me today. He's the real professional. I'm just the amateur that comes in every Friday. Uh, and thank you to the superintendents, J.T. Koopman and, and Steve Kane. Uh, for my usual partner, Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.